If you guys don't know me, my name is Dustin, and I'm on staff here at South Point, and I don't know if you guys noticed or not, but the building was warm this morning, right? We just, we just had heat put in, and so our building is warm. I even had to take my sweater off, like it's, it's toasty in here, and so that's something to praise God about, because it's only going to get colder, you know, winter lasts forever in New England, so we're going to be warm. I remember most Christmases as a kid, and and I know a lot of other families did this and still do this, but on Christmas morning, before we opened up any presents or stockings or any of that stuff, that we'd open up the Bible and we'd read the Christmas story out of the Gospel of Luke. This was something my parents insisted on, and I think in my parents' head that they were keeping the true meaning of Christmas in front of us, and they, I think they probably imagined us to be like wide-eyed and amazed at the story, but if I'm being honest, when I was eight years old, I was probably tapping on my Power Rangers watch, like, come on, man, like, we got presents to get to, like, I, like, let's get through this. But as I've grown older, these words have come to mean so much more to me than just being the buffer between me and my Christmas present. These words have come to define the moment when God hit the turbo booster on his rescue mission for my soul. These words have come to define the moment when God sent heaven down to redefine what it meant to relate with God and have a relationship with God. These words have come to define the moment when God sent us the gift of all gifts. And we're going to read it this morning, and I'm so excited to be able to read these words with you that I've read so many times with family and friends because there's power in these words. And so we're going to be reading out of Luke chapter 2 this morning. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 20, and so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to that. If not, we'll have the words on the screen that you can follow along with us, and we're not going to pause, we're not going to stop, we're just going to read through these words and let the words of Scripture wash over us. But as we read this, I want you guys to put yourselves in the shoes of the people that we're going to be reading about. These are citizens of Israel, and Israel was a nation that had been occupied against its will by Rome. This is a nation In Israel, held under the law and the customs and rule of a cruel and violent and ruthless empire. This is a nation waiting for God to make everything all right again. A nation waiting for a Messiah, waiting for a hero to arrive and set them free. They're waiting, they're praying, they're hoping, but also probably feeling pretty hopeless because up to this point, it's been 400 years since God spoke to any of them. 400 years of radio silence. There's almost certainly a feeling of, are things ever going to get better? Because this dark veil of hopelessness and darkness and oppression and injustice is just going to last forever? And maybe you feel like that in modern day America. But this is the mindset of the people in Israel leading up to Jesus' birth. Tyrannical government, division, oppression, hopelessness, desperate for change, desperate for a hero, desperate for a savior. This is the context in which we pick up Luke chapter 2 verse 1. And it says this. It says in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Cry, Cry, come on. When Quirinius was governor of Syria. And when all went to be registered each to his own town and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, 
who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had, seen, for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray together, and we're going to jump into this a little more. God, I thank you for the story of Christmas. I thank you that these words are not just words on a page, that you did this, and you sent your son for us, that your love for us was so great you sent this baby who will go on to suffer for us. God, I pray that the message of the gospel is the forefront of these words that I speak. I pray that this isn't just a convicting sermon or a moving message. God, I pray that we connect with you. We need you. We don't need just another sermon. We don't need just another message. We need you. So I pray that you are here with us. Allow us to be here with you and hear from you directly in this. All these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I distinctly remember one Christmas as a kid. I was, I was probably around 10 years old, and there was this massive box beside the Christmas tree with my name on it. And this box, it was from my parents. It wasn't from Santa. And so it had been sitting out for like a week or two before Christmas, and so just days upon days to stare at this massive box and wonder what was inside. Go up and try to like peek. My mom would smack my hands away like, my mind was reeling, like, what in the world could be in this box? Days, just pondering over this massive gift. Well, Christmas morning finally rolled around, and I can't even begin to explain the anticipation of being able to open up this giant gift. But, of course, my parents made me wait to open it until the very last gift, as parents do. Classic parent move. But when the time finally came, I tore into this thing like a velociraptor from Jurassic Park, like... And when I finally opened the box, inside there was a smaller box that was wrapped up. And so I tore into that box, and inside there was a smaller box. And maybe you can imagine this scene, or maybe you've experienced this yourself, as I descended into smaller box, into smaller box, until finally there was a box about the size of my hand. 
And when I opened up that box, inside of it were socks. That's right. Quite the Yuletide pranksters, my parents. Now, what's funny is there actually was some bigger gift that they brought out afterwards, but it's interesting and really funny because the experience of that box stands out so much in my mind that I don't even remember what that big gift was. I just remember the giant box and the pair of socks inside of it disguised as something great. A great big gift disguised as something great with nothing really special inside. That's how the world works. It promises you all these grand things. It builds up anticipation. It promises you happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction and attention and status and identity and love. And the world wraps up all these gifts in the most convincing wrapping paper in these giant boxes with the most impressively tied bow. But when you tear into it, you start to peel back the layers of it. It's never enough. It's never what it says it is. It always just leads to a different box. You know, if that, if that relationship didn't make you happy, don't worry, this relationship will. If that bottle didn't take your pain away, don't worry, this bottle will. Hey, if that website didn't satisfy you, don't worry, this, this website will over here. Oh, that job didn't make you happy, just this job over here will. Oh, you're not satisfied with this season of life, don't worry, a better season's on the way. But it never delivers, it always just sucks. And not even like brand new socks. In reality, it's more like worn out, used socks because you're not the first person to try to find joy this way and fail. You're not the first person to wear these socks and you won't be the last. The world offers a big, beautiful box and nothing but junk inside. And then here comes the Christmas story. And it says, and this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. In other words, a baby wrapped in rags, lying in a barn, in a feeding trough for animals. That's where you're going to find the greatest gift that anyone has ever given. This is extremely counterintuitive to how the world works. Because we're drawn to the big shiny boxes. We're drawn to the seemingly impressive. And yet God says, listen, I know exactly the power and value of what I'm sending you. So not only do I feel no obligation to to dress it up, but it's going to be in rags in a barn where the animals eat. And he's going to be the king. He's going to be the one to change everything. The world wraps up junk in pretty boxes, but God sends his greatest treasure in the form of a baby wrapped in rags. It's backwards to how the world works. And then God takes it a step farther. Because you see, a king has arrived. And in this culture, they're no stranger to kings. A king has arrived. And the thing about kings, if you didn't know, is that kings were important. And kings were so important that they required that people rush out to meet them and shower them with gifts when they arrived. The king is coming. You better go offer your best gift. This was customary. And although it's not mentioned by Luke, we know because Matthew wrote it down that magi or kings or wise men or whatever you want to call them, they came and offered gifts to this king what we're supposed to do right they approach the king of heaven the same way they'd approach the kings of the world but here's the massive difference between the king of heaven and the kings of the world the king of heaven didn't come to receive gifts 
The king of heaven actually came bearing gifts. See, the kings of the world, they came to receive gifts, but Jesus comes bringing the gifts. Jesus arrives on the scene and says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And not only do I not need your gifts, but there is nothing that you could offer to me that I need. I'm the king of heaven. You can't offer me anything. But I have something to offer you. I'm the one bringing you gifts. And to me, when we read through this Christmas narrative, there's three gifts that stand out that I want to dig into this morning. And in Luke's narrative, the angels are the ones who tell us what these three gifts are. Starting in verse 10. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. So you have joy. And then in verse 14, a choir of angels sings, and they give us the other two. They say, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So these gifts from King Jesus, we have joy and we have peace, but then we have the reason for that joy and peace, and that's the fact that God is pleased with you. There's another word for God being pleased with you, and that word is righteousness. Righteousness. And so according to the angels, according to the angels, Jesus came to bring you righteousness that would result in unimaginable joy and peace. Jesus came to bring you righteousness that would result in unimaginable joy and peace. Three massive gifts wrapped in rags, lying in a food trough where the animals eat. Righteousness, joy, and peace. And the interesting thing about the gifts that King Jesus brings is that these gifts are actually a reflection of his kingdom. Don't forget, this is not a king without a kingdom. It's just a king with a kingdom that's not of this world. Don't be fooled by the picture of a defenseless infant. This is a king. And it's a king who rules over a kingdom that is slowly invading the world and will be taken over again very soon. It's interesting, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, who had no knowledge of this interaction between these shepherds and angels, he had not seen this story, having no knowledge of what the angels said Jesus would bring, Paul writes about the kingdom of God, and, and he says this, he says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. In other words, the kingdom of God is not about eating or drinking. It's not about the external things that you can put inside of you, but rather it's about the righteousness and peace and joy that God is going to plant deep inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy. So first, what is righteousness? What is righteousness? This is the first gift that King Jesus simply gives to anyone who would receive and believe the claims that he makes about himself. What is righteousness? Well, righteousness means you are right with God. Righteousness means you are right with God. And yet, all of us are flawed. I don't know anyone who's perfect. And so how could any of us be right with a perfect God, and yet be flawed at the same time. In 2 Corinthians, we're told for our sake, 
He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's all about the cross. It's all about Jesus. That's how you're made right with God. This verse means you can be right with God because Jesus took your sin and he took your shame along with the rest of humanity and he put it on his back and he went to a cross to suffer and die for you. And when he did that, that your sin and your shame, it went to the grave with him. It died. It was erased. He conquered sin. And then after three days, he raised back to life. That He conquered sin and he conquered death. And so the raging waters of sin and imperfection, like a raging river that stood between you and God and you couldn't get to him, the blood of Jesus split those waters wide open and made a clear path from you to God so that anyone who would receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior will be forever more righteous in the eyes of God. That means you are right with God. End of story, period. It is finished. You can't unearn that. You can't lose that. And yet, so many of us fall into this trap of despair and think, well, based on my performance, based on how I've behaved lately, man, I just don't know if I'm in right standing with God. Man, I, I've messed up a lot, and I've fallen so short. Man, I'm not worth the love of God. I don't know if him and I are all right. And, and we impose our own, our own imperfections and instability and inconsistency on God and we allow ourselves to believe that based on how well we perform, that we can be bad enough to make God hate us or abandon us. And then Jesus arrives on the scene and says, hey, not only can your performance not save you, but your faith, if your faith is in me, then also your performance can't unsave you. You need to understand that you were bought for a price. You were bought with my blood. Jesus says you're made righteous in the eyes of God because you've chosen to put your faith in amazing things that he's done. So why are you still obsessing over all the messed up things that you've done? You're free now. Stop putting the chains back on. Who do you think you are to believe that you are powerful enough and broken enough to undo the things that Jesus accomplished on the cross? You know, we pretend that it's guilt, and maybe we do think it's guilt, but the truth is, it is overwhelming arrogance to believe that you could ever do anything to make God hate you. I promise you, you're not that strong. And I think we've really blown it in the Christian community by how nonchalantly we throw around the word righteousness because what we should be doing is falling on our faces and thanking God that we have this unbreakable bond with him because of the blood of Jesus. This is the first and biggest gift that he brings. And the second two are direct consequences of it. When you're able to accept the righteousness that Jesus freely offers you, it will lead you to peace and joy. But not just any peace, but rather a peace that the Bible says surpasses understanding. In Philippians 4 it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you receive the righteousness of God, he plants a peace inside of you that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's a peace that's foreign to the body that it possesses. It's a peace that doesn't make sense given the environment that it exists in. It's out of place. Can we just 
look around at the state of the world and agree, even if you're just looking at the past couple years, but really the history of mankind, can we just look at the state of the world and agree that there's something deeply wrong inside the heart of mankind? You know, so many of the problems that exist in the world that we love to blame on God, we love to blame God, and the world loves to blame God. Poverty, sickness, war, starvation, death, disease, like, these things all exist because of the nature of mankind. We pollute the planet. We hoard resources. We start wars. We spray our food with all kinds of junk. We step on each other's throat to get ahead. We obsess over ourselves to the point where billions suffer and then we have the nerve to blame God. It's not God's fault. It's our fault. It's my fault. It's your fault. Because everything was perfect in the beginning. And God says he's going to restore everything back to perfection in the end. But until that day comes, we remain in this imperfect in-between. Imperfect in between where sin and death are running wild and peace, peace in this world is either unattainable or not maintainable. But you see, when you receive the righteousness of God, your life's no longer defined by sin and death because Jesus has conquered sin and death on your behalf. And so the things that send everyone else into a tailspin, you can rest. And you can breathe, and that doesn't make any sense. But if you've experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's the same peace that allowed the apostles to stare ridicule and torture and death in the face and then die still praising God. That doesn't make sense. It's the same peace that drives millions around the world to worship, even at the expense of being imprisoned or killed by their own government. That doesn't make sense. It's the same peace that should drive us to look around at the broken system in our own country and not be tossed and turned by the waves of inconsistency and selfishness, but we should have a peace that's not controlled by circumstances, and that doesn't make sense. And if we're not experiencing that peace, then I have to question, what are we obsessing over? What do we spend our time thinking about? What do we spend our time doing and looking at and talking about? Is it the righteousness that Jesus died to offer you? Or is it anything else? Because honestly, anything else, nothing else can offer you the peace that surpasses understanding. At best, at best, the world can offer you momentary peace that can be stolen away from you and erased by circumstances. But the peace that comes from Jesus not affected by circumstances but the thing is that peace only comes from him and so you can't just take it and run away and start doing things on your own you have to stay anchored to Jesus this is not just any peace it's a peace that comes as a consequence of falling headlong into the grace of God and this peace is different because it's not just an emotion we think of peace as an emotion but according to this Peace isn't an emotion. Peace is a person. Jesus is the peace. Jesus doesn't just offer you peace and boogie out. When you make him your savior, you have peace because Jesus stands in the doorway of your heart and your mind and your soul and he actively goes to war with the fear and anxiety and worry and heartbreak that tries to ruin 
your life. That's why it says, the peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus because you have an aggressive peacemaker fighting inside of you. That doesn't make sense, but I am so glad that it exists and I've experienced it. And then in close proximity, the other consequential gift of receiving the righteousness of Jesus, we have peace that surpasses understanding and then you get joy that is inexpressible. Joy that is inexpressible in First Peter. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. When was the last time you felt inexpressible joy? It's so interesting. We jump through all these hoops around Christmas time and we do all these things around Christmas time to make, make it feel magical for our kids. We want it to be magical. Whether it's our kids or grandkids or friends and neighbors, we work so hard to make it feel magical. But when was the last time you felt joy resonating so deeply inside of you that you couldn't do anything but smile or maybe even weep? If I'm being fully transparent with you guys, and I feel like I have to be, even though this feels extremely backwards to do, given what I'm preaching about right now, but if I'm being completely honest with all of you guys, I haven't really been feeling this joy lately. I'm really preaching to myself more than anyone right now. And I need to hear these words, and I need to anchor my soul to this, because I've been caught up so much and the whirlwind of things that need to be done, that it's all but stolen my joy away from me recently. The past few weeks, man, I have had this bitterness and apathy rolling around inside of me. I've been short-tempered and snappy and just like not myself. Like I've been a shell of myself, if I'm being honest. And you know, I know as well as any Christian how to not let that be seen and just like wear a mask, but I don't want to do that. And I can't stand up here and preach this to you guys and have you think that this is something that I've just arrived at or just like experienced nonstop all the time because that'd be lying. Because I'm a fickle and fleeting human being. And it's rough, man, because in this role, like I'm trying to inflict good news on people. I try to inflict good news on you guys, but at the moment, man, I'm just in a place where I need this inflicted on me as much as anyone, if not more and so there's the truth about where I'm at right now but what I need to tell you and what I need to remind myself is that this joy is real even if I'm not experiencing it the way I'd like to at the moment I am telling you that in my story I have been overcome with inexpressible joy to the point where I couldn't even talk because God is just so good and I'm just so overwhelmed by him the thing about being in a rough season spiritually is that it gives the enemy an opportunity to whisper and chirp into your ear that this joy is not for you. You're not going to experience this. This joy is not even real, but that's not true. It's real. This message is for everyone. This joy is for everyone. doesn't matter if you're struggling. doesn't matter if you're thriving. doesn't matter if you're broken. It doesn't matter if you just got put 
back together. It doesn't matter if you're extremely passionate or extremely stale. Jesus Christ hung on a cross so that all of us could experience life, and not just eternal life, even though that's going to be awesome, but so that we could experience life to its fullest right here and right now. But the truth is that there's an enemy who hates you and who is always at work to try to steal that joy away from you, especially in seasons like this, especially during this season where we want to celebrate like maniacs and make much of what Jesus did. You think you're going to do that easily? There's always going to be an attack on those seeking after Jesus. It's never going to be easy, but righteousness and peace and joy are available to each and every one of us. I believe that. I've experienced that. You know how you get it? You'd think that you get it by fighting for it. And, and maybe that's where I've fallen short. I love to fight. But you don't get it by fighting for it. You get it by surrendering. You get it by letting go. You get it by surrendering and letting go of whatever lies that you've been telling yourself or the enemy has been telling you. Letting go of the lie that no one sees you. Letting go of the lie that no one cares about you. Letting go of the lie that, that if you were just better or smarter or better looking or more successful, that life would be going better for you. Letting go of the lie that there's anything you could ever do to make God love you any more or love you any less. Letting go of the lie that it's anything but Jesus alone that can give you what you're looking for. And I know that we're all hungry for peace and joy. The world is hungry for peace and joy. It's trying so many things to just wring any joy And we think it's unique to us, but it's not unique to us. It's the same. It was the same for the shepherds. It was the same for the shepherds. Why do you think the Bible says they went with haste? Like they were in a hurry. Imagine this, like the sky rips open and there are a choir of thousands of angels singing the most beautiful song that you've ever seen and then the sky closes and they don't even stand around thinking about it or pondering about it. They just turn to go run and see what the angels were talking about. Why? They hit the ground running to go and see what God has done because not only are we going to experience peace and joy, which has been eluding us our entire lives, we're going to experience peace and joy, but we're going to be right with God. We're going to be right with God. We don't have to wonder about our future anymore. We don't have to be devastated about our past anymore. The king has arrived and he's come bearing gifts and all we have to do is accept those gifts. All we have to do is believe what he says about himself. Nothing will ever be the same. That's good news. That's why it's called good news. Now, as we put a bow on this, and yes, that's a Christmas pun. As we put a bow on this, I want you to think about something. I want you to, I want you to think about Mary. Mary is hearing all of these things about her son from these shepherds for the first time. Now, Mary knew that her baby would be the son of God, and she knew that he'd have a kingdom that would never end, but these gifts that her baby boy would bring, what he would come to do, she's hearing about these things for the first time from these shepherds who just show up all excited and say, you're never going to believe what this angel and like thousands of angels, you're never going to believe what they told us about your son. And the Bible says that all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up 
all these things, pondering them in her heart. And it had me wondering, like everyone else wondered about these things, but Mary treasured and pondered these things. What's the difference? There's obviously a difference. And I looked up in the original language this was written in, and when it says they wondered, it means they marveled. Like, wow. That's amazing. Can you imagine? That's crazy. It was this overwhelming emotion for them. But when it says Mary treasured and pondered, it most closely means that she put it in her heart and she couldn't stop thinking about it. She just thought about it nonstop. She couldn't get it out of her head. She couldn't get it out of her heart. It didn't just cause an emotion for her. It called her to action. It wasn't just emotional. She made the decision to have this planted in her heart and carry it with her everywhere that she went. And so I have to ask myself, and I have to ask all of you guys, when you hear about these things, when you read about these things, or you sing about these things, or someone preaches at you about these things, about what God has done and the way that he loves you regardless of your brokenness, that he would send his son from heaven to earth, and he would die for you, and all of these things that God has done for you, when you hear about them, is it just like a brief wow moment for you? Wow, it's amazing. Could you imagine? It's awesome. Is it just emotion for you? Or do you put it in your heart and carry it around with you everywhere that you go? Because, man, I promise you, I promise you that just observing and being impressed by Jesus doesn't do anything everlasting. Simply being impressed by Jesus, just being a fan of his work, that's useless. There is no on the fence. It's either nothing to you or it's everything for you. And if it's only emotional, if you're not putting it in your heart, it won't do anything for you. But if you hear about these gifts that he offers and you let him plant them deep inside your heart and you carry them around with you everywhere you go, man, that'll change a person. That'll change everything. Let's pray. God, you're good. You're more than good. You're better than everything else. I don't want the things of this world to be able to steal my joy away from you, the joy that you offer. There's so much bigger than that, God. And if I'm not alone in this, if there are other people in here experiencing this, God, we need your joy. We need your peace. We need your righteousness. And there's nothing that we could do to achieve that. There's nothing we could do to earn that, God. So we just submit to you, God. We fall down on our knees and we just cry out to you that we need you. We're nothing without you, Lord. And I ask forgiveness for myself when I've allowed things to distract me or tear my attention away from you and everything that you've done because you're just better than everything else. God, we don't need all these giant boxes wrapped in fancy wrapping paper with bows that just have junk inside. We try that over and over and over again and it doesn't deliver. We want and need what you have to offer us and what you have to offer us alone. Lord, I pray that these words are not just something that we hear. I pray that they're bigger than me. I pray that they're bigger than this room and this building, that when we leave out of this place, that your Holy Spirit is sticking to us. And just like Mary, we can't get it out of our heads. We can't get it out of our hearts. It affects the way we behave. It affects the way that we think, the way that we treat people. 
that affects everything about us. But it's not possible without you, Lord. And so be our foundation. Be our hope. Be everything to us. Be our strong tower. We will run into you and stay there. God, we love you so much. Thank you for everything that you've done. You are better than everything else, Jesus. We pray all this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.